If you've got a Bible here, I want you to uh, first of all open up, open up in Second uh, Timothy. Second Timothy. We are busy looking through this book of Colossa. For four weeks now, we're in chapter one. Have you noticed? Last week we saw the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Why? Why would Paul write in this letter to Colossae about the preeminence of Jesus Christ? He thanked God for them. He had this account came to him through Epaphras. And he thanked God for the church that's there, their faith and everything. But there is a problem, a pressing problem upon the church, and that's the Gnosticism. And you're going to hear this in the next, I don't know how long, Andre, but you're going to hear it on and on and on about Gnostics coming into the church. And I do not want you to sit here this morning and to think, yeah, that's right, it happened back then, preacher. But what about today? Let me tell you, today is even worse. Back in the day then when the church came together, every single thing that God does, the enemy comes to try to destroy. Same with you. You were born... And what happens? As you grow up, all the relationships you have, every single one of them, the enemy wants to destroy. He's against you. He wants to destroy you. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion. Have you seen a roaring lion? Go to the zoo. But just go prior to when they feed them. Don't go when they've already been fed. Go there when they're hungry. Have you seen a hungry lion? They will tear down and destroy and grab everything. And rip it apart. And they've got those big fangs of them and they will bite into bone and break a bone like a, a match. Why? Because they want to get into that. It is, it is a raving that grabs onto them. Friends, the, the devil, the enemy is, is compared to that lion who wants to destroy you. No wonder we as children of God need to hold on to the power of God. Because you are like that match. You are like that bone that he, he gets his fangs into and he rips apart. You cannot stand against the enemy. Every relationship, when you get married, when you meet the, the lovely of your life, the sweetheart of your life, it is all good, but then what happens? As soon as you come together, he wants to rip it apart. He wants to destroy it. Then when you get married and you get children, there's another relationship. Fathers and sons. Fathers and daughters. Mothers and sons. Mothers and daughters. And I can tell you today standing here, not what I think I know, but what I know is endless upon endless stories. Not only in this church, but going beyond these walls of fathers and sons relationships broken down. Broken down. Mothers and daughters don't talk to each other. Brothers, brothers don't talk to each other. Ripped apart. And you, all, you know what all happens then? It is a blame game then. Oh, but you don't know what he has done to me or what she has done to me. But let's face the facts, friends, this morning. Beyond the facade, beyond all of that is this roaring lion who came in and he wants to destroy and rip apart those relationships. Yes, I know what they've done to you. And I don't know the detail. But if you can understand as a child of God that beyond this physical nature, there's a spiritual war going on. And it's for your relationships. Rip it apart. Then they don't talk to each other for many years. And in the background, that old roaring lion sits there and he's so satisfied. Have you seen a lion after it's been fed? You can, walk, you can walk right over to him. You can even pat him on the head. He's no, it's done. It's done. The fierceness is gone. That's what's happened with a lot of relationships these days. He's not interested anymore. He just, all he wants to do is, every now and then he just will throw you a thought. You see, the mind, dear friends, is our biggest friend, but it's also our biggest enemy. 
That's why, listen to me very carefully, that's why the whole preaching of the Word of God is for the what? The renewing of your mind. The word repentance as an essence means it is a change of what? Of your mind. So when this old enemy, this foe comes, and he sees this relationship, he's trying to be restored, what does he do? He comes as your enemy, and he destroys it again with all of the things that happened in the past. This is how he operates. This is his vials. The Bible says the enemy, the devil has got vials. You know what vials means? He's got sleek ways of, of controlling you through your mind. You've got to understand this, child of God. This broken down relationship, he's so happy as a fed lion, he just lies down, he says, come and pat me on the head. But you know what happens if you move closer to that person, he's going to become like that roaring animal again, trying to rip it apart. Why do I start this way? Here is a beautiful relationship that started in the church back in the day. Similar to us. Two years ago, there was nothing here. They buried people from this place. They put them in coffins and take them away. They, have, they come in here and they say nice things about people. Two years ago. Then what happened? The Lord started opening up this door and here we sit. And you know what's happening here? It's relationship. That's what this is all about. We come together. We meet people that we haven't met before. Yes? Yes? There, I mean, there's Yapi and Magda there. I mean, uh, two years ago, you didn't know anybody in this room, did you? That's a relationship. There's Edith. I mean, Edith, how wonderful it is to know these families, Brett and you guys. We all came together. I mean, in, in the world for it, Brett, you, you and, and, uh, and some of these people, and Andre would have walked past each other in the street. You wouldn't even know you are brothers in the same body of Christ. Am I right? And Eugene, I mean, he, he would have walked past you, David, and, you, and he might have smiled you because he's a friendly, he's a friendly chap. Have you ever seen him? He always smiles. Have you seen and, and you would, this is one thing, he would have walked past you and he would have had a bright smile on his face and you would have smiled back. Never known that you are part of the body of Christ. But here's the thing, come together. That is where the problem comes with the, the roaring lion. He wants to rip this apart. He wants to, look, and the, um, there's no problem here, but there was problem in, in the church of Colossae. The Gnostics came in. Gnostics were the people who said, oh, we know. We know you don't. We have to tell you. This is revelational knowledge. What was that, God? Yeah, yeah, I get it, God. Let me tell Andre what God said just now. That's that Gnosticism. Not only that, they were Jewish Gnosticism as well. The Jews. They came and said, oh, we are the chosen people. And they are. Praise the Lord for that. There's no one who replaced them. God's got a plan for them. But they came in with their Gnosticism and say, Oh, we are men of the word. We know more than you. Let, let us tell you. And so they started putting in some laws. They say, Oh, listen, Yapi, you can't eat that stuff, man. You, you, you know what? That is not good. It's not kosher to eat that. You can't eat pork, man. Because the Bible, let me see you all the scripture verses about pork. You can't. And they bring that stuff in, okay? And, and it's not only then Jesus. It's Jesus plus. You get Jesus, the freedom of Christ, plus you get all of these laws. Man-made law. Look, they can substantiate it out of the Word of God. They can. But they have looked past the cross. At this point in time, when Paul writes this to the church in Colossae, where was Christ? He's in heaven. The cross has already happened. Now we've got freedom in Christ, not to break the law, but to fulfill the law. Listen to my words this morning, through Christ. That's how we fulfill the law. But these people come in and say, oh, you know what, now you've got to hold these moons and these seasons, and, and, and what about all of these feasts and so on? And they start putting attacks again on the people about all of these laws. That is Gnosticism that came through the Jews into this church. You can't eat that stuff, General, because God will punish you. And then Paul goes, he says, it's not what goes into the body, but what comes out of the body that matters. Isn't that wonderful? How wonderful he is. Now, I want you to listen when he writes the following words. It's not on the board, but listen to this now. If you haven't got a Bible, listen. He warns, he warns a young pastor, Timothy, about these things to happen. Who of you sitting here today know that there's false teachers in the world? Well, if you don't, the alarm clock's going off for you. There is false teachers in the world right now. 
And it was back in his day. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. If you agree with that, say Amen. People will not endure sound doctrine today. You know what they will do? If we preach sound doctrine, they'll, they'll run for the door. They'll go to another church. A vibrant church. <laughs> Let's go to a vibrant church. Praise the Lord, you're not in a vibrant church. You're not in the vibe, dude. No, no, you're in Jesus Christ. In Him is all the power. Look, let me tell you something. I've, I've tasted it. I've tasted Jesus. He is satisfying my soul. He's all in all to me. And, and here he says they will do that. They will, not, they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. According to their own desires. People will do what? They will have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, small young Timothy, do that. And I want to say in Paul's words, everybody in this place, I want to say to you, be careful of the false teachers. Endure, friends. Brother, sister, endure. And listen, it's your responsibility to test every single spirit that preaches to you. It is, listen to me, fathers, men of the houses, priests of the house, it's your responsibility to test every single spirit that's going to preach to your family. It's you. It lies with you. You can't turn to God and say, oh Lord, they were so slick, man. They were so, they came in so subtle, I couldn't pick it up. It is your responsibility to pick it up. And how do you pick it up? You study the Word of God. You learn that the Holy Spirit opens it up. I better hurry on. There's much to say. 1 John chapter 4. Just flick over the page. You see, John himself, the apostle that Jesus laughed, it says, he said the same thing. Look at chapter 4 verse 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't want, look, look, Paul, that wasn't not my words that I said taste every spirit. It's John's word. Well, it's just, you know, I'm also a John, but it's not that John, okay? It's John. He says it right here. He says, do not believe every spirit, but do what? Test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets has gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. You see, he gives a whole phrase there how you can test it. Look at verse 5. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. The world is lovers of money, isn't it? One of the biggest tests that you can put uh, uh, you know, in front of every single preacher who proclaims to preach the Word of God is two tests. The world loves money and they love status, following. So any ministry that stands over and there and says, Oh, you know what, we're going to give you this book if you only send us your gift offering. Of, it couldn't be more uh, less than $50 gift offering, by the way. $50 gift offering. We're going to send you this book. But wait, there's more. We'll throw in a set of six steak knives for you. Yes. Watch out. The world and its teachers are after your money and they want to have status. Well, today we're going to look at a man, Paul, and we're going to see the real against the fake, against the false. Paul. He calls himself an apostle of God. By his own authority? No, by far not. He calls himself an apostle. But in the next part, we're going to read in his letter that he wrote to this church in Colossa. He's giving us the task that he has and the goal. Now let me just be very perfectly clear about this. Paul was not a vision-casting leader. Is that foreign words to you? Shall I explain it to you? I want to say, if you go out in the world and you turn on and you start listening to other preachers and so on, I want to say nearly 80% these days, you will hear them talking about vision. Vision. What is this church's vision? Hey, pastor, what is your vision? Well, well you caught me off guard. I haven't got a vision. Well, then, you know, it's just, <laughs> 
There's only one vision, friends, and it's Jesus Christ's vision. I don't have to come and formulate for you a vision and say, this church stands for, and put some nonsense in there. This, this church stands for one thing, and it's the Word of God. In spirit and in truth, you cannot preach the Word of God without the Holy Spirit. And you cannot preach the Word of God without truth of Jesus Christ. This man was not a vision-casting leader. And you will see as we look at it. Now look at this now. Colossians chapter 1, 21. He says, and you, I'm going back now. I'm just doing a little bit of revision where we ended last week. He says, and you were once alienated and enemies in your mind. You see where I'm going in your mind. Again, it's in your mind. He talks about it. The enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and without blemish. How wonderful is that? That one man will come upon the face of the earth and do all of that to present you. Not him, because we know he was God with us. There was no fault find in him. I've got no doubt in my mind about that. But the, the big work here of Jesus Christ is to present you who sit here today in this room, uh, what, holy and blameless, blame, uh, without blemish, with Him, without charge. If indeed you will continue in the faith grounded and settled and are not moved away from the hope of your gospel, which you have heard and which has proclaimed in all the creation and the heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. And you remember last week, at the end of that service, I said, if indeed you continue in faith, it means that it is those who truly reconciled must persevere. You must persevere. I see this in the same light when he turns to Timothy and he says, preach the gospel. You must persevere, Timothy. It's nothing to do with the, the salvation or the assurance of his salvation. It's a perseverance to stand and to hold the course. Paul's main focus is to continue in the truth of the gospel. That's what he means by that sentence. Continue in the gospel, in the truth of the gospel. It is important for Christians to continue in a godly conduct. It is important for us to do that. We have to continue in that. We can't now sit back and say we are saved and, yeah, you know what, we're going to be there anyway. Now we can do just whatever we want to do. There are people who live by that, by the way. Paul says, now that we have this grace, do we sin more? No, we don't sin now more because we have this grace. This is where this is all about, you see. And that's what it means if indeed it is by continuing in the grace but we are not saved by our godly conduct, friends. We are saved by what? By grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Now, none of that could be done by man. None what I've just read. This is the work of God. Man can't do this. The Roman Catholic Church says the Pope can do it. They're not sincerely wrong. They're just blasphemy wrong. The Pope can't fill the seed of God. They say, oh, you know, He is the most high man. He, he is God with us. That's how far they go. No. Only God can reconcile. And there's only He, there's only one death in the ages of history that counted the most. Whose death was that? Jesus Christ. Only He could die for a whole humanity. And only one can present you holy. Why? Why is it only Jesus who could present you holy? Because He was holy. Friends, I can't, I don't present anybody in this church because I'm not holy. Yes, I'm made whole by Him. But I'm by far not a small Messiah all of a sudden. And we'll see this play out in the next few verses. He says, I became a minister. I love this. He says, I became a minister. The word there for minister is the word diakonos, which means a deacon. A deacon. He says, I became a deacon. But wait a minute, didn't he call himself an apostle? Apostle means one saint with authority. We went over that a few weeks ago. And now he says, I became a minister. And he uses in Greek, when he writes this down, he says, I became a diakonos. And that's where we find that word diakonos. And the meaning for this, there's, there's a meaning. He says, a deacon is one who by virtue of the office is assigned 
to him by the church, cares for the poor and has charge over the distribution of the money collected in their use. So that's the work of a deacon. So a deacon comes in and he actually sets the place up. A deacon goes out and he gives food to the poor and then he also works with the money and so on and distributes it. That's what a deacon does. Is this the work of Paul? No, there's a second meaning of deacon. The second meaning of deacon is you're a servant of the king. This is what Paul was meaning. Right through his letter when he started writing, he says, I'm an apostle by the will of who? By a man who came around, and laid, by Peter who came and laid his hand on me, or by John who came and laid his hand? No, no, no. He was, he was an apostle of, of God by the will of God. No man can anoint another man. God is the only one who does. But now he says, I am in this, and he's a servant of the king. And I, this is where he pins it. I became the servant. Look, we find this in Acts chapter 6, a classic example. Let me give it to you. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Now in these days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a murmuring. There we go. There's that word again. Murmuring. <laughs> but what did I say earlier on? You see... I didn't just pick those things out of my head and started going on around here, friends. In the days when the, the number of the disciples was multiplying, what means? There's more relationships that started happening. People started coming in. Who was sitting in the background? Come on, by now you should know. It's that, it's that hungry what? That lion. He wants to destroy what's going on there. And how does he destroy it? By breaking up relationships. And here is a classic example. It says there that when they were multiplying, there arose a murmuring of the Grecian Jews. They were called Hellenists. So the Hellenists, was, was they, they were seen as these um, people who compromised with the Greeks. Yes. And, yeah, Hellenists from hell. <laughs> if you think about it that way, brother. <laughs> but these people were, were seen as compromisers by the Jews. And the Jews didn't like them. Guess what's going to happen in church? These people who's going to walk in and, and firstly when you see them, you might feel you don't like them. But is, is that a reason just to stay away from them? No. So the Hellenist was there and this murmuring happened between them and the Hebrews. Now the Hebrews were seen as higher, holier than thou type of people in the church. Why? Because they, they steered the line, they come from a Judaic background, from the Jews, they are on the word, they are more holy. Now they looked at the Grecians, and the Grecians were the guys who compromised. They went into Greece, and they picked up a little bit of their culture and everything. Now these two groups come into one under one roof. There is meant to be differences, friends. And they started murmuring. Why? They picked on something there. They said because they were those were neglected in the daily administration. And the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said that it's not fit that we should forsake the word of God and serve the tables. You see? It's not good that we forsake the word of God. Who said that? The twelve. The twelve said that. Who was the twelve? It's God's disciples, the ones that he called. What was their number one worth? What was their vision? <laughs> I'm talking now like a vision casting pastor here. What was their vision? Come and you tell me. The word of God. The word of God. And now he says it, we should be on the word of God, not serve the tables. Look you out therefore from amongst you and see if you get seven of good report, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. What was the three things that these men would need to have? A good report what other people say about them, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, friends, honestly, I look at that and I go, what are these guys going to do? They're only going to serve the tables. Am I right? They're not going to teach the Word, are they? Although we know they did. But what were they going to do? They're going to serve the tables. They're going to go to the widows and they're going to give them their daily ministries, and they're going to give them food and stuff. Now one would say, 
why do they have to, you know, good report, tick, you know, you have to be friendly and nice with people. You can't walk up to an old lady and go, yeah, come on, eat it. You can't do that. You, you know, you need a little bit of a good report. The Holy Spirit and wisdom. Friends, it doesn't matter what you do in the house of God, you need those three things. Have you noticed? Whether you serve or whether you preach, you still need them. It doesn't mean that these guys who sit and they look at the Word of God do not have these three. But they say, this is what we're looking for. And then whom we may appoint. But we will continue steadfastly in prayer and in the ministry of the Word. There's two very important things that a preacher should do. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. Not only preachers, you as well. So, let's look at a very controversial verse. When he writes this down, Paul writes to Colossians in Colossians 1 verse 24. He says, Who now rejoice in my suffering on your behalf, and I fill up the things lacking of the affliction of Christ in my flesh, on behalf of His body, which is the church. If you look at this, this is a very controversial verse. Why? Because there's churches out there who uses this part of it and says, you see, we need to sacrifice every Sunday. We need to suffer. Paul says it there. He says, I will fill up the things lacking of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. Does that then mean that when Christ was hanging on the cross, the suffering wasn't enough? No. You see, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, in John 19.30, He says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said what? It is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now friends, when Jesus says it's finished, it's finished. It doesn't mean that Paul is now going to continue in that suffering that Jesus did. Do you get this? There's a lot of religions and they will come to you and they will say, you know, this is suffering is still real. It becomes the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ that you're eating. When you eat that wafer this morning, it's not a piece of wafer, it's not bread, it's the flesh of Jesus. That's the miracle they say. And when you drink the cup, it's the blood. Man, we are not cannibals. God didn't want us to be cannibals. This is why, you know, when he said this, we need to understand that there is an atoning affliction, and then there is a non-atoning affliction. I just want to get this clear to you so that, remember, there's false teachers out there and they will tell these things to you. And my prayer is that going forward when you hear these things, it will stand up to you and say, wait a minute, we've heard about this. This is not right. I'm giving you the real word this morning. The atoning affliction was done on the cross. This is what Jesus said there. Nobody else can do it. It's done. He suffered for you. Brother, you read the passage in Isaiah 53 this morning. All the work is done. It's finished. You are saved by Him through His blood. But then, there's a non-atoning affliction. He uses the Greek word philippus here, which means there's a pressure. And that's what he says, that, that He is filling up the things in affliction. It's a different kind of affliction. And hang in there, I'm going to tell you now, because He touches each one of us. You remember Simon the Serene who carried the cross of Christ? He walked up with a cross. It was pressured upon him. He had affliction. But it was a non-atoning affliction he had. All he had to do is carry the cross for Christ. But, but what did Christ Jesus do? He had to hang on the cross. Simon didn't hang on the cross, but Jesus hanged on the cross. You and I are asked to carry what? Carry the cross. Isn't it right? He says, carry your cross. That is a non-atoning affliction you need to carry. And this is it. Jesus is the only one who died on the cross. Now what is Paul saying? Paul says that I am identifying with Christ when I suffer in the church. You see the problem today, dear friends, is that the world don't hate the church anymore. What did you just say? The world needs to hate the church? Yes. What did you just say? The world needs to hate the church? Yes. Why? Because the message that we give the, church, the world is different from their message. They hate it. 
Tell me, you go to your workplace and you stand up there in lunchtime and say, come on everybody, I want to preach the word of God, the, the gospel of Christ here this morning. What's going to happen? They'll sack you. They'll sack you because it's a different message in the world. But the problem is the world, the spirit of the world has come into the church. And now when you look at the church and you look at the world, you don't see a difference anymore. They water down now the messages so much in the church that it is, hey, you can bring your friend, man, and they can continue with their lifestyle. This is a nice place, man. We're vibrant. We're cool dudes around here. We're cool people. We're not going to talk about your sin. Look, we're going to give sin a different name. We're going to call sin from now on a problem. You haven't got a sin anymore. Because you know what? Sin points towards the cross. That gory stuff where, where a man had to die and you know he had to bleed out. Whew, we don't want to see those things anymore. Sin means that you need to accept that you are lost. No, 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 no. You're not lost. Come on, man. No, no. We build up your self-esteem. No, no. You might have a little bit gaps in your life, but you're not lost. That's when we use the word sin. But hey, if we change it into a problem, what's going to happen now? We can give you a small little pill and it makes you feel better. If we say it's a problem, we can send you away and you can get help from psychologists. We, we book you into a rehab. Yes, yes. It's going to be no, we're going to give you food. We're going to talk nice to you. We're going to tell you how great you are. Because you've got this only small little problem of things that happened in your life. Listen, the only pill that you need, and you've heard it said before, is the gospel. Sin is sin and it needs to be repented from. Sin needs a savior. Problem needs a pill. And this is the problem. The church has gone really weak. It's weak. It's not strong anymore. When the church is strong, the world hates the church. When the, when the church is strong, the world burns the churches. And you know what? Let me just get this over. Let me tell you one friend, friend. I feel ashamed. I absolutely feel ashamed standing in a Western world, in a Western church, when I look at brothers and sisters sitting in churches in an Eastern world, and they are persecuted for believing in Christ. They lose their heads. They are killed. They are burnt. I feel ashamed standing here and I know what's going on in the Western world and they dish up this lollipop and this, this, this candy frost type of gospel whilst brothers and sisters sit there and they look at us and they say, you guys don't know anything. You don't know anything. Let me tell you where the spirit of the world hasn't gone into the church. In the underground church in China. In the underground church of China. In the eastern land, in Iran, where they preach the gospel and are killed for it. This is where Paul is going with this. This is where he's going with this. Let's compare him. Let's compare Paul with our church leaders today. Shall we do that quickly? It's really interesting, isn't it? If you look at ministers today, they will say they need to be charming. Yes? A charming minister. They need to be charismatic. People need to love them. They need to like them. Man, if you walk into the church, you say, oh, that's your pastor, man. Oh, look at him. You know what? That's a, gee, he's a good, cool guy. He's got a lot of more hair than me, by the way. But anyway, he's well-spoken. These days, man, they go to universities and they teach them how to be well-equivalent speakers. Well, and they use, look, sometimes I listen to some of these people and they, and they say a sentence and they use all of these words and I go, what? What did you say? But you know, the amazing for me thing for me, dear friends, is the people in the congregation who listens to them will do the same. Or otherwise, I'm dumb. Let, let me just say it how it is. I'm sitting there and I think they've got maybe 100, 200, maybe 4,000 people sitting there. And he said this thing and he used these most equivalent, these most highly, highly, man, it is just huge words. And I sit there and I think, how many people in that room understood what he said there? But they will not stand up and say it. Why? Because people will say, sit down, man. You make all of us look dumb. Oh, they had to be well spoken these days. Funny. Oh man, if you can get a funny pastor, man, that's it. You need to break things down with, with, with humor. I've got no problem with humor. But I don't have to be funny to preach the gospel. Humor happens when it happens, isn't it? Oh, these vision casting, they have to, they have, to have a vision. Vision. 
It's all about vision. Man, you need to be behind the vision. If you can't be behind the vision, get away from here. We don't want to talk to you anymore. We, we excommunicate you. Off you go. Vision is all about these things, and they are the final authority. The final authority. The pastor is the final authority. He's the coup de lay. You can't do anything in church if he doesn't tick the box. He's the boss of the church. Yes? This is the, look, I'm not dishing stuff up. You go and look for yourself. Many of you know what I'm talking about. These guys, man, they walk, look, look, I've seen this with my own eyes. They walk into a place and everybody knows the boss is in the, in the house. And, and look, they play the part as well. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've been to a place in New Zealand where, you know, this, this uh, vision casting leader walked in and everybody says, but as he walks in, everybody needs to stand up. And, and then he goes and he sits down and if he sits, everybody sits. Nobody will touch their food at all until he picks up his. I've seen it with mine own eyes, friends. This is it. This is today's uh, creme de la creme. This is what the world dishes up. Hence, I'm telling you today, look, I make no excuses about it. The spirit of the world is coming to the church because if you look at church vision cast leaders outside of the church, this is how they operate. They need to be strong and listen to this. They need to be rich. The church make them stinking rich, if I may use that word. You throw all your money at them. All your money at them. All your money at them. And if you don't throw enough, hmm, man, you'll come, you'll be, you'll be asherin, you'll be talking, getting talking to, and, and brother, you come over here. Why don't you give enough money? Bang! I'll Bible bust you with the scripture verse. Bang! You better give more. You don't want to rob the, 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 the storehouse of God. Bang! Give us another thousand. Now, look, if you don't have money or cash in your cards, I've seen this. Look, this is not new. They, uh, don't worry if you didn't bring cash today, man. We know that. There's a, there's a credit card machine just out the door. Oh, man. It's, it, you know what? We, it is so funny, but it is so true. Now, now that is it. Look, look at this. This is what the world dishes up. Here comes a man. Here comes a man and he writes a letter to the church in Colossae and he says, I fill up the things lacking of the affliction of Christ in my flesh. Now let's put this nice and beautiful man that I've pictured for you now against Paul. Was he charming? Not at all. Not at all. They say he had an eye problem. They say he walked a little bit funny. They say his face wasn't something. You know, he wasn't the most beautiful guy. It's not as if you see Paul and you go, wow, we need to grab this guy and put him on the front cover of a magazine. He wasn't that kind of guy. Even if you do the best makeover, he wasn't that kind of guy. Yet, this man writes most of the books in the New Testament. You see, the Bible is so interesting, friends. He says that God will take the things, the foolish things of the world to do, to shame those things who are so full of themselves. Look, look what people, look, it's not all, look what they say about him. 2 Corinthians 10, 10. For these letters, they say, they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. Now compare, I'll tell you one thing, friends. Let me, let me just say it out. If Paul would have lived today, he wouldn't get a role in a church even as a deacon. They'll say, Paul, if you want to do something, there's a garage here down here at the back. Just sweep the floors. Hey, brother, you're doing a work for God, man. It's so good. But don't come in front of people, Paul. And Paul would walk up to some of these vision-casting pastors today and say, can I just bring a word of God? And he will stand there. They say he had, he had runny eyes. Maybe he had runny eyes. He comes up to one of these, these strong pastors and says, can I preach the word of God? You know what they would say? No, 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 no. It's for our men. You see, this is Paul. They say he is weak and he had a speech contemporary. Colossians 2.4 And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So he is saying these things. He says, look, we've got to play our part as well. Are we, are we sufferings? Are we today, you and I, uh, um, fill up the things which is lacking in, in suffering? That's what the church preaches today. I think I've spent a lot of time on the controversial verse. Have we learned something from that verse? 
I'll be quickly now showing you his task. <clears throat> Look at his task. Verse 25, he says, Of which I became a minister, according to the administration of given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. This is his task. To fulfill the word of God, the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. For to them God would make known what are the riches and the glory of his mystery amongst the nations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Have a look at these verses quickly. This is wonderful for me. In verse 23, Paul says the following. He says, if indeed you continue in faith grounded and settled, you know we've, we've discussed that verse. But he says there, and are not moved away from the hope, the gospel. You see that? And now he says in verse 23, which you've heard, all the creation and heaven, and then he says, of which I, Paul, became a minister. What did he become a minister of? The gospel. You see that? This is really interesting. Then here in verse 24 he says, on behalf of his body which the church, verse 25, of which I became a minister. So what is a minister of here? The church. It's two distinct things. Wonderful. Here he is the minister of the gospel. Minister, by the way, means servant. You saw that. It's diakonos. He says, I'm a minister of the gospel, which is the good news. But here he says he's the minister of the church. Church means koinonia, which means a fellowship, the body. He says, I'm a minister in suffering and in teaching. So what am I trying to say? Well, let me say it to you. Friends, you cannot be a servant of Christ if you are not a servant of the Word. This is the problem today. He was a servant of the Word first, then he became a servant of the church. He became a servant of the gospel first, then he became a servant of the church. So, these days, listen to the sermons you hear from these vision-casting people. They don't preach the word. They are not servants of the word. They preach story upon story and beguiles and every single thing and fables. And they come out with all of these nice equally. They do not preach the word, yet they want to be ministers of the church and i'm trying to say to you i'm not trying i'm telling you today if you're not a servant of the word forget it you will not be a servant of the church this is why people will come and go in churches and they go we didn't get a good feeling today you know we went in there last week worship was great man we hopped and jumped and everybody was just you know everything went well but this week we come in and nobody did want to hop you know i just feel the worship's a little bit off why? Because their focus is on the worship and not the word. And you want to know where I lay the blame? Not on the worship team. I lay the blame at the pastor's feet. Because if people come for worship, you need to you increase your worship every Sunday. But friends, my work is easy. I just bring you the word. See? This is what Paul did. It was, it was his task. He says, look, I'm going to do nothing else. Look like the brethren said in Acts. We're going to concentrate on prayer and the Word. He says his biggest task here is to do what? Is to fill the Word of God. To fill the Word of God. And then he says, how do we fill the Word? He talks about the mystery. He says the mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Let me just say a few things about this. I'm, I'm fast-tracking. I'm, I'm, I'm talking fast now. I don't want to keep the roast burn, okay? But I also do not want to neglect what needs to be said. What is the mystery he's talking about? There's so many different things that you hear these days about mystery. Some says it's the church. Oh, the church is the mystery. Yet, if you look in the Old Testament, there's so much pointing towards the church. So many scriptures. Some say it's the Gentiles in the church which is the mystery. No, no, if you look back into the Old Testament and you read through all those Old Testament verses, and I'm just saving time here for your sake, you can read about Gentiles back in Genesis who's going to be part of the body. So what is it then? You see, if you wanted to come under God and under His protection and under His guidance back in the day, you need to become a Jew. Now you can't go back into your mother's womb or into a, a Jewish mother's womb and be born a Jew, so what do you do? You can go through baptism and become a Jew. 
although you will physically be not a Jew, but you are then grafted in in the Old Testament. So and that's why you can become a, a professing Jew, although you're not a, a, a physical Jew. But that's man's hands. The mystery here, friends, is that this salvation comes through Christ alone. That's the mystery. Yes, it is the church. Yes, it is the Gentiles. But it's more than that. Friends, today we do not need, and, and listen to me carefully, I'm not a replacement. I, I believe in Israel. But look, friends, we do not need to go first into Judaism to come to Christ. We go to God through whom? Through Jesus Christ. That's the mystery. They couldn't understand it back in the day, the Jews. They couldn't understand it. They thought this is how you come in. Even if you think forward now, when, when Paul went out and when he had, when he had Titus and he had Silla, when he had these Gentiles coming in, there was one part, even, even from Peter and the guys who said they need to be circumcised. That's the Jewish thing to do. Paul says, no, you don't need that. Why? Because they've got Christ. See this? Now, here's the other th point that I want to make. It has been revealed to whom? To his saints. The word revealed there means to lift up a slayer. So it's not new revelational knowledge. It's not as if I'm going to come and stand here and say, hey, and keep my Bible close and close all the scriptures and say, you know, uh, friends, I had a visit last night from an angel. And you can't, what are you going to say? You didn't have the visit, I had the visit. And, and he revealed to me something which nobody knows. Nobody knows this, what I'm going to tell you now, because he, he just revealed it to me. He wouldn't believe how many people out there is doing that. It's Gnosticism. It's Gnosticism. I know more than you. No, no, he says this has been revealed to whom? To the saints. It's there. It's here. I study this Bible now while I'm preaching it now for 25 years, and I tell you what, I've preached through Colossians. I find more out of it now than I did five years ago. I hurry on. Let's look at his goal quickly. In verse 28, he says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, so that they may present every man perfect in Christ. He says, Whom we preach. Who is he preaching? He's preaching Jesus Christ. Yes, and he preached to them which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And I, brethren... When I came to you, did not come with excellent speech of wisdom. You see that? He's not like the preachers today, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let me tell you, this church, our, my, the vision of this church is only one. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So if anybody, anybody asks you, where do you go to church? Our oh, Kingsway coming down. What is your vision? Oh, that's easy. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I tell you now, they look at you strangely and go, what is that? <laughs> well, now that you've asked, let me tell you what it is. <laughs> and, and, and how did He do it? Look at this. He says, He was preaching, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Warning every man and teaching them. The word warning here means to impart understanding. That's all it is. That's all I do every Sunday. I impart understanding. I'm not more cleverer than you. I believe me, there's people sitting in this room who's way more cleverer than me. But it doesn't go about cleverness. It goes imparting the word. And uh, why is he doing it? That we may present every man perfect in Christ. People, uh, to bring people into maturity in Christ and not to depend on Him. What do I mean by that? Oh, let me go back to these vision casting ministers. What do they do? They draw the people unto them. Unto them. Remember what I said. He's the authority. And He will walk around and say, My church, oh, we just hit the $5,000 mark now. That's my men, my people. That's not your people. Look, friends, as much as I love you and I love you with the love of God, I do not want you to be connected to me because anything can happen to me. And if you are just based everything you have in your Christian life because, geez, you know what, Pastor, it's you, you're in trouble. My way is, I'm only a signpost and I, shine, I, I want to connect you to Christ. Because honestly, let, let's face it, I can't carry this whole church. I can't carry you. I can give you 
counsel. You can get, you know, get me out. Let's sit down, have a coffee. Let's talk. I can pray with you. But I'm only one person. Leonie is only one person. But man, I'll tell you one thing. If, if, if I can come and we sit down and I connect you with Christ somehow, uh, you know, if I can encourage you to read your Bible somehow and to pray somehow, and, and somehow you say, look, you know what, thank you, Pastor. I, I, you, you're great. You're walking alongside me on this road. But, but I've got Christ. I've, I've got Him. Middle of the night, doesn't matter where you are, you call upon Him. This is what He's doing here. He matures them not to follow Him, but to follow God. Now, I know. I know I've, I've said this to somebody once, and they said, whoa, wait a minute. Paul says at one stage, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. That means you have to follow the man. No, 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 that's not what he said. You need to put it into context. And this is the context. So finally, his labor. He says, for which I also labor, striving according to the work of him who works in me in power. You see, all of these things that Paul was saying to us, he started talking to the agnostics about the preeminence of Christ. He is the all-power one. And he says, all of these things, working him who works in me in power, dunamos. Friends, you and I cannot stand in any capacity of our lives and relationships without the power of Christ. That is what he's saying. Wow, what a man. Hey, what a man. But I reckon if Paul stands here this morning and I say, what a man, he would rebuke me. He would say, say not that. Is it true? Yes, it's true, because him, he came one time and people thought he was God. They gave him a, a name of their gods. He says, no, don't do that. And then they stoned him. You see, he was not a man of the world. He was a man of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we've learned from Paul the apostle by the will of you we thank you lord that we learn more and more father as we continue more in life these things we need to know them more so that we know to be careful